We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Packaday Podcast. You can get all your Packaday updates by following us on Twitter, Packaday Podcast. And remember, you can always subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can check us out over at cheeseheadtv.com. I'm Kyle Fellows, and I am here with Andrew Mertig and Andrew Mertig alone. Maggie Loney has moved on with her life leaving Andrew and I here to fend for ourselves again. So, Andrew, uh, how's it going? Yeah, we're, we're like, better off without it, right? Right? <laughs> like, that's what you just keep saying to try to make it feel true. Right. Uh, like, you know, it was great to have Maggie, but we're back to the original duo, right? The dynamic duo. Uh, so we'll make do with what we got. That's absolutely right. We just keep telling ourselves we've got this on our own. Had a lot of fun, but we're back to the way things have always been, and we like it. Um, But football is officially on the calendar, Andrew. The NFL revealed its 2020 schedule on Thursday night, and so we wanted to spend a little bit of our show talking about the Packers' 2020 schedule. Uh, There are so many factors in an NFL season and the schedule And the order in which those games are played can often be kind of overlooked as a significant factor to how the season goes. Uh, But as we saw last season, the Packers struggled on the road, going out west a couple times. And it's those kind of road trips, especially if you get a couple in a row, that can really take a big 
toll on the team. So we're going to jump into this. We're going to go through all of the games the Packers are going to play in 2020. Um, but we're going to kind of break it down into some bite-sized chunks for you guys. So uh, let's start, Andrew, uh, with that first part of the season. Yeah, so instead of just reading off all 16 games, we, we thought we'd break it into quarters because I think it's, it's you know, that's how a lot of NFL teams are going to look at their schedule. And I, I think it's important as fans to, to take a look at it in that way as well. So, you know, if you're talking about the first quarter, those those first four weeks, the first four games, um, certainly interesting. You got you know, at the Vikings Sunday at noon, you got uh, Detroit in Lambeau Sunday at noon. Uh, so it's nice to see the Packers get to start off with some normal time games. Uh, week three at the Saints on Sunday night, that's going to be a big game. Um, and then they bounce back after that Sunday nighter. Uh, they have a Monday night football game um, against Atlanta again in Lambeau. So I kind of hate this early schedule at Minnesota is not a good way to start. I wish in, you know that they just didn't have divisional games in week one period and this is especially bad given how in question the beginning of the season may be you know the good news is the Vikings have a lot of new starters so they are going to have to adjust uh, but you know Detroit at home should be a game Green Bay is favored in obviously no guarantees with divisional games but um, you know, that looks like the most favorable of these first four matchups at the Saints might be the toughest game on their entire schedule, including at San Francisco. I, I think the Saints are that good and they got that much better this offseason. And Atlanta at home is not going to be a layup. They're going to be a better team this year. Um, I, I think they did some significant things to improve their team this offseason. So, you know, two and two is a, a very realistic start. Yeah, I'm with you that starting week one at Minnesota is not ideal. Uh, but the more I think about this, the more I'm okay with that part of it. As as you said, there are going to be a lot of new starters in Minnesota, especially in the secondary of that defense. And with Jerry Gray coming over to Green Bay, there's an even more significant maybe change at the coaching spot there in the secondary. So I'm hopeful that the likes of Mike Hughes and Jeff Gladney haven't quite all gone on the same page and that's something that I think the Packers might be able to exploit in week one, um, maybe a little bit easier than they would later in the season if they were to play then. Uh, but no doubt U.S. Bank is going to be a heck of a lot louder um, for that opener than maybe they would even be a different week. Uh, and the Saints game on the road in week three is obviously a tough deal as well, as you said. Uh, so a challenging slate of four games to start the season for sure. Yeah, and two of those four games are on the road. Um but the Packers, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the rest of the schedule going forward, but five of their first eight are on the road. And and one thing, pretty much the only thing I saw on Twitter before we, we jumped on to record was, you know, Andy Herman was talking about that front-loaded away schedule. If there aren't fans in the stands, that could actually end up being a really big benefit for the Packers, having to start with that heavy of a road schedule. But that is especially true of week one in the Bird Murder Dome against the Vikings. Like, Good luck pumping in fake fan noise when there's nobody in the stands. <laughs> that's a really good point, and that's a huge deal. Like, I mean, what a weird feeling that would be um, for players, but also, you know, how they, I don't know how they'll handle that for TV and those kinds of things will be really interesting to see, but definitely could play in the Packers' favor if they get some empty away games uh, in, in their favor. The, the, some of the golf broadcasts got in trouble a few years ago for piping in bird noises. I don't know if they would try that in the NFL. Like, not bird noises, obviously, but, like, you know, some fake fan noise. 
I hope they pump in bird noises. That would well, be or, or maybe, you know, some light birds chirping. Um, <laughs> but anyways, week five brings us the bye week. Uh, and I absolutely despise that. Uh, early bye weeks are the worst. I think that puts your team at a significant disadvantage. And I like, I don't know. I'm not a scheduling guru, but I wish they would just alter the schedule. Somebody has to be able to figure this out. So all the buys happen in like the middle of the season. So like there's no bye weeks before like week six or seven. Um, and you kind of cram them all in there. I, I understand um, that that's going to create some light weeks on the schedule. But the competitive advantage of having a late buy like Green Bay did last year versus an early one is just too much of a competitive advantage for a league uh, that really relies on balance. Yeah, when I saw week five for the bye, I think I said yuck out loud. It's a pretty stinking early bye, but Andy Herman made a really good point on Twitter. He said that when you look at Green Bay's road schedule in this next stretch that we're about to talk about weeks six through nine, the Packers very well may need that bye week to prep to prep rather for the tough second quarter of their season, which is at the Buccaneers. Week six, uh, Sunday afternoon at 325, so a road trip to Florida. And then week seven, they go to Texas to face the Texans, which is maybe not the scariest team in the entire league, but it's still a trip to Texas and a matchup against Deshaun Watson. Um, And so that's an offense you have to watch out for. And then you go to week eight, you get the Vikings at home. uh, But the Vikings are always a tough matchup, even if you get them at home. And then week nine, we're talking about the 49ers. On a Thursday night, okay? Um, You know, it's not good that you got to go back out there. We know what happened last year. Uh, But to make matters worse, the Packers and the Niners will face off on that Thursday night. So they're coming off a really important divisional game that they absolutely can't look past. And then on a short week, they play the 49ers on that Thursday night football game. So not great. If you're not sold on how tough this stretch is, the Packers will play the Bucks, the Texans, the Vikings, and the 49ers in a span of 19 days. And three of those games require travel. So going 3-1 and one over those weeks would probably be a huge win for this team. And I think 2-2 two and two is honestly kind of a reasonable expectation considering those road difficulties. I'm so impressed with you right now. First of all, that was very educational. And second of all, you mentioned the Buccaneers and you didn't bring up Tom Brady at all. I intentionally, I'm sad that you brought him up. I did that on purpose. We, we, we bypassed Tom Brady. Is, is not Rogers Brady, like the most fascinating <laughs> storyline. Yeah. We've got to talk schedule? about it. Yeah. I think that one's going to get a lot of attention for obvious reasons, but coming out of the bye week I mean, there's going to be a lot of pump up for that anyway, but that's going to be a really fun game. I'm looking forward to it. Honestly. Um, I hope we get a little bit of the Buccaneers of old, but uh, it'll be a really fun matchup to watch. That, that I, I just think like take Brady out of the equation. And I, I, you know, I think just honestly taking a step back as a football fan, like Brady versus Rogers, is just super cool. And it's, it's cool anytime you can see it. Um, but the Buccaneers offense is expected to be just phenomenal. And, and I love the challenge for the green Bay defense to go up against Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and, 
um, really just like get tested by that team. Um, and they have a they have a pretty exciting young defense too. So um, I think that'll be a good one. A lot of like man, a lot of tough games in these first eight. Um, I get the pleasure of talking about weeks 10 through 13. Um, and this is an interesting stretch. You, you get, uh, you know, week 10, you have the Jaguars in Green Bay, a Sunday noon game. Uh, week 11 at the Colts again at noon on Sunday. Uh, the Bears, a Sunday night game. I love that. Uh, and then week 13 is the Eagles uh, Sunday late afternoon. So, you know, the Jaguars did a lot to improve their defense, but I think they're going to be a bottom 10 team in this league unless we see something really surprising. So, you know, that's a game that you, you would hope Green Bay is going to be able to pull out at home. The Colts are definitely a dangerous team. You know, if Phillip Rivers can have a bounce back year, this is a team that, that still has a strong offense line, good running game. Uh, they have a lot more weapons on offense and a pretty solid defense. So that's going to be a tough game on the road in Indy. Uh, the bears on Sunday night is just going to be an absolute spectacle at Lambeau. Chicago's defense is still really, really good. And I think they might've even gotten a little bit better this year. Um, but everything's going to come down to how their quarterback play is, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Trubisky or Foles or whatever, but the Eagles are an immensely talented roster too. And you know, they, they already beat green Bay and Lambeau last year. And I don't think they were really at their best in 2019. So you know, there's no easy stretches in the NFL. I think probably you would identify the back half of the schedule as a little bit easier. We're, we're not talking about the juggernauts here, but still some some very tough teams. Yeah, and I completely agree that the Colts are a really dangerous team to watch out for. I wish we got them a little bit earlier in the season. I think by week 11, they may have some things gelling there in Indy. So don't look past that game. But I think having three of those other games at home in this stretch really helps this team uh, get on track to close out the season as we move into this fourth quarter of the season. So let's take a look at those here in just a second. I I was just going to say... the one advantage of playing the Colts a little bit later in the season is last year, Phillip Rivers' arm basically fell off after like week <laughs> ten. So I don't, I don't know if that was just because San Diego. Oh my gosh, San Diego! I can't say oh, that. Oh, there it is. There it is. I'm gonna have to do some push-ups after this yeah. show. Uh, the Chargers, the, the Los Angeles Chargers, uh, offensive line was awful, so that might have had something to do with it. But yeah, we'll the- see. The Raiders are the one that I'm going to slip up on all season, so I'll I'll forgive you for that. But, yeah, let's just hope for Noodle Arm. Let's schedule it for Week 11. That'd be good. Um, But, yeah, let's get into this fourth quarter. um, And we've got the Lions Week 14, uh, Sunday at noon, coming to Lamb. Oh, no, we're going to Detroit Week 14. I forgot. Week 15, we got Teddy Bridgewater's Panthers coming to Lambeau, which uh, could be a Saturday or Sunday night game, depending. Uh, Number 16, we get the AFC runner-up Titans on Sunday night. And then they close out the season with Chicago um, in Chicago. So that'll be potentially a really important game. Again, having some matchups at home is always a huge factor. But Green Bay weather always plays a factor. We know this. And getting the Carolina Panthers to come to Wisconsin in December is a pretty big deal, I think. And then having 
home field advantage against a team like the Titans, who showed what they're capable of in the postseason, is really valuable as well. And then I'm just glad that we're not closing out the season against the Lions again. So uh, the Bears season could go a couple different directions, I think, especially depending on their quarterback play. But a Week 17 matchup in Chicago promises to have a lot more drama and potentially playoff implications than the final uh, weeks there than we've seen, you know, with matchups in Detroit or against Detroit these last couple seasons. So I'm okay with uh, the Chicago game in Week 17. Yeah, so um, out of the the 16 games on the schedule, there are five primetime games, which I think seems about right for this team. Um, it will. I, I don't. I don't know. I, certainly, Green Bay is always going to have a national draw, but I, I think you know, based on some of the movement, and we we talked about the Buccaneers, you know, the Saints, the 49ers. There's a lot of really good teams in the NFC, and and so I think you know trying to divvy those up. I think five primetime games sounds sounds about appropriate. Yeah, I didn't go past 2017, but this will be the fourth season in a row at least that the Packers have had five primetime games. There are seven other teams this season with five primetime games, uh, but it's clear that the NFL continues to want the Packers on this national stage. Uh, we'll see them just once on Monday night, uh, week four against the Falcons, but then we get them on let's see, three Sunday night games against the Saints, the Bears, and the Titans, plus that awful Thursday night tilt against the 49ers there in California. So lots of Packers national TV this fall. Uh, But Andrew, are we ready to do something stupid and make some predictions? No. No. No, 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 no. no. I hate this. I refuse to participate. But, like, actually... You know, I mean, it's the NFL. Teams go from good to bad, bad to decent, you know, wh- whatever. Teams teams maneuver a lot. Uh, half the teams that made make the playoffs don't make it the next year. Um, so, you know, I could see the Packers going 8-8 eight and eight in the schedule. I could also see a path to 12-4. and four. Um, If injuries become a concern, they could be worse than 8-8. Eight and eight. Um, You know, we never saw 13 and three coming last year. And in fact, if you look at the early part of their schedule last year, we were saying, man, they'll be lucky to get out of that two and two. Right. And I, I think there were three and one. I'm pretty sure Philly was week four. And then they beat the Cowboys who nobody expected them to be. And, and, you know, it kind of continued on in a snowball. And so we'll see how this team gels, um, how they incorporate some new pieces, how Aaron Rodgers plays in year two under Matt LaFleur, which is being really undersold right now because of all of the Jordan love talk. So a lot of factors to go into it. I hate making predictions, but I will certainly let you and then make fun of you later for being wrong. Okay, so you'll notice that I did not send you any predictions ahead of this podcast, and my predictions box here is still completely empty. <laughs> um, I uh, because I'm so hesitant. You know, there's so many factors that can change, and uh, we we base predictions based on last year's opponents and how they played then. And obviously, it's going to be very different when we play these teams um, in in the coming season. So I would say, looking at this schedule, I would predict. An eleven and four team. That's not realistic. That's not a real number. An eleven and yeah, five. 11 and five. 11 and five. Thank you. Uh, eleven and five is what I'm going to go with. I think that they uh, not struggle, but I think that they get through those first eight games. 
um, with some lumps. I think it's a pretty tough schedule. Probably a five and three start is very possible. But then I think they finish the season pretty strong and end up somewhere there in the 11 and five range. Um, I can see, like Andrew said, anything from eight and eight, nine and seven, all the way up to like a great 12 and four season. Very, very possible with this team. But uh, lots of factors uh, to weigh. But I'll say 11 and five if we're getting bold. Your your uh, minor slip up there just reminded <laughs> me of the emotional toll that 2021 is going to take on me when teams are like 12 and five. Oh, jeez. 13 and four. Yeah. Like, I don't like that. My whole, my entire life, it's been a 16 game schedule. And so I, I don't know um, how I'm ever going to you imagine, adjust to that. But can you imagine if we can't play a full slate of games in 2020 and then we look back in history and we're like, why the heck did the Packers finish like nine and three? Like, that doesn't <laughs> make any sense. It's going to be a mess. Yeah. Okay, so Probably. those are our guess, our takes, and those are our predictions. So uh, I'm sure there will be more comments on the schedule in the coming days. But those are our pretty pretty fresh takes here with the schedule just coming out um, really just a couple of hours ago. But um, obviously there is a lot more to unpack and how this will impact the Packers 2020. But it's fun to see the slate of games and the matchups that are ahead. And right now, seeing some sports on the calendar, even if the games are written in pencil, is kind of the hope of normal that I think we kind of all need right now. But uh, Andrew and I like to live in the past. Uh, So we wanted to take a couple of minutes to go back to the NFL draft. We're two weeks removed from that Thursday night when Jordan Love was selected at 26 overall. And we have clear heads and hearts tonight. And so we wanted to take a look at some of the trends and details of this draft that continue to help us understand the direction of the franchise and what we continue to expect in the years ahead as Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur build this roster and implement their philosophy. So, Andrew, what is something that stuck out to you on draft weekend this year? Well, you know, certainly Raz continues to be a huge deal in in predicting picks. And thank you very much, Kyle, for compiling this list for me. It was so much fun. (laughs) Since I was too lazy to do it. But, yeah, I mean, you, you see, you know, Jordan Love, um, I don't know how important quarterback Raz is, but, you know, he was the 8.45, certainly a very impressive athlete. You have A.J. Dillon at a 9.16, uh, Joseph DeGuara um, in 8.52. If you consider him a fullback, his tight end Raz score wasn't particularly high. Uh, Runyon had a 8.49, uh, John Garvin had a 8.98, and a lot of the other guys just didn't have it complete testing that or at least it wasn't made public so uh, I think the Packers were kind of figuring out who was who was a great athlete without having um, all of the advantages of uh, some of the combine testing and some of the pro days as well but I, I think, you know, this is probably the one thing we knew Goot had a major preference in, um, but this third draft really helps to solidify that. So we know elite athletes are really a premium to Brian Gutekunst, you know, but you can also see this in free agent signings, uh, the undrafted free agents they bring in, um, basically any practice squad player. If you see somebody who's below like a seven and a half, eight Raz, it's like a big outlier and everybody's like, what's going on here? Um, So I I think that becomes a really strong predictor moving forward. Um, You know, when, when you're looking at how the Green Bay Packers are going to, uh, compile the, the players that are on the roster. 
Yeah, absolutely. Really, really interesting. Something that I think we can kind of put a check mark next to for sure. Um, the DeGuara pick is really interesting because he scored really high as a fullback. And we talked about his usage as an H-back potentially. If he scores as a tight end, his numbers are not nearly as high. And we know that Sternberger was kind of the um, exception in last year's class. So it'll be interesting going forward. We may not get some more data points on this for a couple of years because of the way that they've invested in the position. So it'll be interesting to see if tight end may be the exception to the rule, but that's something we won't see for a little while. But um, another thing that I thought was really interesting was regarding the age of the prospects that the Packers select. I think we typically have seen the Packers give a little bit more attention to really young prospects. That's certainly true in the early rounds, but is proving to be less and less of a factor, especially in the later rounds of the draft. This year, the Packers took Jordan Love in round one, who is 21 years old, uh, but then only took three players with their remaining eight picks who were under the age of 23. Uh, Jonathan Garvin is the big exception. He's 20 years young and doesn't turn 21 until July. So just one more reason to get really excited about the upside of Garvin there as a pass rusher. But all of the offensive linemen that the Packers took in succession in round six are essentially 23 years old or in that ballpark. So it seems that we can kind of hold on to the theory that the Packers' first-round investments are going to be really young players. Kenny Clark, uh, uh, Kevin King, Jair Alexander, Rashawn Gary, Savage, and now Love were all really, really young players at the time of their selection. Uh, but as you move out of round one, you see Goody taking guys like Elton Jenkins or Jay Sternberger, who was uh, 23 or almost 23 when these guys were selected, and then guys who were more of the average age of around 22, and guys like Josh Jackson, A.J. Dillon on day two. So going forward, forward, it seems like we should give priority to youth in the first round, but then maybe not consider it as heavily as we move further into the draft when predicting who the Packers may be interested in. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think that plays a big role. And when we're, we're trying to make predictions, I know I had adjusted a lot of my ratings based both on RAS score as well as age. And, and so I saw some kind of false predictions in the middle rounds. Guys, I thought the Packers would absolutely love that they, they maybe um, had a preference on somebody that I had ranked a little bit lower because I had docked them for being older. So um, definitely something for me uh, that that's of great interest and, and something we'll, we'll see if that trend continues moving forward. Okay, so one more trend that I wanted to discuss is the Packers' recent obsession with trading up in the first round. Uh, the Packers have traded up in round one in every year since Brian Gutekunst took over as the GM in 2018. Of course, they traded back in 2018 when the Saints shipped them their 2019 first-rounders so they could land Marcus Davenport, but then Goody came back up uh, to 18 to select Jair Alexander. In 2019, Goody stayed put at 12, um, but then traded up from 30 to 21 with their second first-round selection from the Saints there uh, to take Darnell Savage. And then, of course, in Goody's third draft as GM this spring, they moved up to 26 with Miami to take Jordan Love. So clear the, clearly the Packers need uh, to move up to get Jair in 2018. I think that's pretty well 
uh, accepted. But there have been some questions about whether or not Green Bay actually needed to move up for Savage or Love. And some have speculated that both players would have been available to them if they had not traded up. It's kind of a fool's errand to try to figure that out for sure. Uh, But what I think is worth noting here is that Brian Gutekunst is really aggressive. And he's not going to take any chances if there's a player that he feels he can't live without. He's going to go get his guy. And this is interesting on any level, at least to me, Uh, but uh, especially when you contrast it with what Ted Thompson did, it's even more interesting. We kind of became used to trading down or out of the first round with Ted Thompson as GM, rarely, rarely ever trading up. Uh, So time will tell which is the better strategy, but this is certainly a new trend in Green Bay and one that looks like it might be here to stay with a little bit more of an aggressive GM and Brian Gutekunst. Yeah, and there's no right or wrong way to do this. Um, I think if you trust your board, it will tell you when you need to move up and go get your guy. Um, I said on Twitter this week, I thought the Ravens had my favorite draft and Baltimore really just stood put and they let the good players slide down to them, and then they picked them. And I love that. But if you go back even a few years, they they made a very aggressive trade-up to pick 32. I think they were at like 52 in the second round. They traded a a future pick um, as well as some other draft capital to go up and get Lamar Jackson. And, you know, I'm not making that comparison just because they're both quarterbacks, but there are teams that typically stay put that will be aggressive when the right player is available. And I, I think you saw that with Jordan Love. I, I think, you know, Brian Gutekunst probably saw that Jordan Love was the last player that they had on their board with a first-round grade, and he said, I'm not going to let some other team slide up in front of me and go get the guy that that I really feel can be the future of the franchise. And, and you know, the teams that are great at drafting know when to move up and not miss out on the top guy on their board. So whether or not that works out long-term, it's not about a specific player, but, um, you know, it's about going and getting your guy. Yeah, so one more quick note um, kind of tied in with this. Brian Gutekunst has given away three fourth-round picks in the last two drafts in order to make those trade-ups possible. And so I don't think there's enough data to make any kind of claims here yet, but for me it's worth monitoring to see if maybe Goody doesn't value those early day three selections maybe as much as other GMs or very much, not I want to say at all, but it seems that he's willing to move those picks. Maybe he thinks drafts are top heavy and that all of the talent that's left on day three is very similar. I don't know. Um, I just thought it was really interesting to hear him talk in back-to-back years about how he didn't feel like he had to give up very much uh, to move up. And clearly, if you give up a fourth round pick uh, for your quarterback of the future, it's a really easy thing to justify. Uh, But I'll be interested to watch in years to come if we continue to see Gutekunst parting with early day three picks to kind of maneuver through the draft and land the guys that he can't live without. Yeah, and you and I spent a ton of time talking about this in the lead up to the draft. And it's just trying to find patterns in in what GMs do. People, you know, over time tend to sort of build this this pattern um, of, of what they do. We know Bill Belichick's going to trade back, right? Like he's going to turn one pick into five or six 
uh, <laughs> when he needs them. Um, but he's also not afraid to to move up. He's always wheeling and dealing. And so we just didn't have enough of a data set to tell exactly what Brian Gutekunst's, um trends are at all. And now we have a little bit more information. I think it, it, it's always just fascinating, especially when you're talking about an organization like Green Bay, where you're not going to uh, you know, kind of have your hand forced to make panicky decisions that an owner might be pressuring you with your job. I think Green Bay has always taken the stance that they're going to keep people in the positions of GM and head coach long term unless there's something terribly wrong. And um, that has worked out for them. And I think the organizations with the most consistency do that. And so I, I really look forward to continuing to see what these patterns and trends look like moving forward with uh, Goody. So that's all the time that we have for today. We got, got to talk a little bit about the schedule and it's exciting to think about football uh, kind of right around the corner. So hopefully we'll, we'll be able to uh, continue to break this down going forward. I'm sure that the rest of the podcast teams will be doing so as well. This has been the Packaday Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit, and you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Remember to also follow at Packaday Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. You can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday. Uh, next week, we're going to be back with a little bit more off-season coverage. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember... Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.